Okay, we're going to keep doing projectile motion. So we did projectile motion last time. We called it free fall, and we were dealing with things that were only moving in one dimension. So we did a couple examples where we threw things up into the air and we watched them come down. We were just throwing them straight up and having them come straight down. We had some equations of motion that related position, velocity, displacement, and time. And you got a lot of practice on those in the last homework. Um, so we're going to continue to do those, but we're going to generalize what we're doing now to three dimensions. I say three dimensions. All the problems we're going to do today are actually two-dimensional problems. Um, and I think most of the problems you'll do in the book are two dimensions. But going from one to two dimensions is pretty much the same as going from two to three. We're going to deal with problems like this one. A projectile is fired from a cannon at 30 degrees, an initial velocity of 100 meters per second, Assuming no air resistance, calculate the time it will stay in the air. That's a three-dimensional problem. The cannonball's going through three-dimensional space, but we know that it's going to go up and down, and it's going to go left and right. We don't really care about the third dimension. right? So we're going to be able to treat most of these problems in the real world as two-dimensional problems. And you may find that your diagram looks like that after a little work. Unfortunately, with online homework, I never get to see that. So I won't know the difference. Uh, a couple announcements before we start. Um, this class needs a note taker for the Disability Resource Center. Um, you may be familiar with this. You take notes. You're given paper that you can use if you don't want to use your own paper. You turn them in, and in exchange, you get priority registration next term. So if anybody's tired of going through the hassles of trying to get classes that you want, you might consider doing this. It's particularly easy since I've already made all the notes available online. For the most part, you're printing them out and turning them in. You might uh, annotate them as necessary. Um, if you're interested in doing that, see me after class. So we're going to talk about, as I mentioned, position, velocity, and acceleration, the parameters of motion as vectors today, and we're going to use them to do what we call projectile motion. So projectile is something that's flying through the air. So remember these equations, we had them last time, and last time we used them in one dimension. So things like velocity was just how fast something was moving up or down. But today it's going to be a little more than that. It's going to be how fast it's moving and in what direction. Because when you have two different directions to keep track of, then we have to talk about how much of that velocity is horizontal, how much of it's vertical. What are the components of the velocity? Likewise, acceleration and displacement, all these different parameters that are listed with the vector notation really represent two different quantities. They represent some component in one dimension, we'll call that x, and a component in another dimension. So this equation is really two equations. It's one equation that's telling us how the vertical speed is changing due to the vertical acceleration and the initial vertical speed. And it's another equation that tells us how the horizontal speed is changing due to the horizontal acceleration and the initial horizontal speed. But we, those two equations are very similar. Right? They have the same notation. And so we write them as a single equation, and we just denote that all the parameters are vectors. So if each term represents these two different quantities, then this equation represents two different equations. 
So this vector notation is sort of a compact way of expressing much more information than, than, uh, than it might appear on this slide. Okay, so I've already shown this slide. Um, hopefully you've used these equations enough now that um, when I say let's use the equation between displacement and time, you at least have some picture in your mind of what I'm talking about. If you don't have the exact equation memorized yet, um, that's fine. You don't need to memorize equations for this class. You're allowed to, for example, um, bring in a note card during the exam. Okay, so the key equations you'll be able to write out. What you'll probably find is we're always going to start with the same few fundamental equations and work from there. So you'll probably, meaning to or not, you'll probably memorize some of these equations. Okay, so we're going to talk about projectile motion. That's just things flying through the air. I say through the air, mostly we're going to ignore air resistance. So it's just things flying through the lack of air in our, uh, in our idealized world. And what we'll find is that things are going to have a motion in the horizontal direction and a motion in the vertical direction. And we can understand each of those by doing sort of one-dimensional equations like we did um, on the homework last week. But the motion is in horizontal direction and vertical direction is going to be linked by time. We'll see in our example problems exactly what that means. But time is the one thing, it's the one parameter in those equations that's not a vector. So 10 seconds is just 10 seconds. Right? Unlike displacement, which can be 10 meters horizontally and 2 meters vertically, if I say something's been in the air for 10 seconds, you know that however far it's moving vertically, you have to figure out how far it went in 10 seconds. And if I ask you for its position, you also need to figure out how high it's gone in 10 seconds. So we're going to use time to relate what's happening in the, the two different directions that we're interested in. And we'll see that there's certain clues that we can get from a problem that tell us how these uh, motion in the horizontal and vertical direction get linked. Sometimes those clues aren't explicitly stated. Okay, so let's look at a little vector diagram. So I say a vector diagram. What we've got is um, some vectors drawn that represent, in this case, the velocity vector for, let's call this a ball. It's a particle that's, that's flying through the air. Okay, and if we neglect air resistance, this blue curve shows its trajectory. This is what we would calculate its path will look like. And so initially, it's moving along that path, so its direction is in the direction tangent to that blue line. Okay, so its initial velocity has a direction that's pointing up and to the right. Or likewise, if I know the direction that it starts going, I can start to draw its trajectory. I know it starts going in this direction. And so I can start drawing this blue line as going up and to the right. Now this velocity vector can be expressed in terms of its length and its angle. So its angle is listed as alpha naught. So that's the Greek letter alpha, A-L-P-H-A. And you could also express this in terms of how much of that vector is along x and how much of it's along y. Okay, so these are the components, the x component and the y component. And now if we just follow that velocity in time, the particle starts here, the ball starts here, 
And a moment later, it's up here. And what's happened to its velocity? Um, if we want to relate velocity and time, we have an equation that does that nicely for us if the acceleration is constant. So in this example, v naught that's the initial velocity. So that'll be this, the velocity that the ball has when it's, I don't know if it's being thrown or kicked or shot out of a cannon here, but it initially has some velocity v naught, and that's shown. And if I want to calculate or estimate what its velocity should be at a later point in time, I can use this expression, and I will search for this, v of t. That will be its velocity at a later point in time. T, of course, is how much time has elapsed. And then A is the acceleration. And in this particular example, A is plotted. A is an acceleration that's going straight down. Right, so that might be uh, the acceleration due to gravity. This might be something that's thrown up in the air. And because it's on the surface of the Earth, it's being accelerated straight down. OK, so what is the component of the acceleration in the horizontal direction? Zero. So if I write this expression as two equations, if I write it in terms of the x component of the velocity, and the y component of velocity, then I take this one vector equation and I get two regular equations. Uh, so ax, if up is y and to the right is x, what is ax? We just said it. It's 0. And what that tells me is that at any point in time, the horizontal component of velocity is unchanged. It's whatever it started as. Okay, and so that's plotted up here. Here's the initial horizontal velocity. And at a later point in time, the horizontal component of the velocity hasn't changed. Because there's no acceleration pulling it to the right or pushing it to the left. Okay, so the horizontal component of velocity is the same here, and here, and here, and here. And in all those cases, it's pointing to the right and has the same length as what it started as. So that's what it means to have no acceleration horizontally. But what is the acceleration in the y direction? Uh, we don't actually know. It's not explicitly told us. They haven't told us that it's 9.8, but you might guess that this is on the surface of the Earth, and then it would be, yeah. 9.8 meters per second squared down. But it's whatever it is, it's pointing down. It's pointing down. And as a result, this term is going to be negative. Right? This, the value for Ay will be negative. And so initially, is the initial vertical component of velocity positive or negative? It's positive. It's saying, this vector right here, this, this arrow right here is pointing up, the vertical components. So it's, the ball is going up. It's not going just up. It's going up and to the right. But if you're only concerned about what's happening vertically, you can say it's going up, not down. Okay, so it starts off going up, but over time, its upward component of velocity will decrease. 
will get smaller. So this vector gets reduced over time because the acceleration is pointing down. So after a little longer in time, it will be shorter. And it will continue to get shorter and shorter. And what is the vertical component of velocity here? Zero, right? We said at the top of an object's trajectory, its vertical velocity is always zero. Right? If it's not zero, then it's not at the top. Okay? That doesn't mean that its velocity is zero. Right? Is its velocity zero here? No. In fact, it's pointing to the right. It's still moving. It's just moving to the right. It's not moving up and it's not moving down at this point. Okay, so our initial velocity was getting shorter and shorter. And then after this point, it continues to get more and more in the negative direction. So it's either getting sh going up and getting shorter, or it's going down and getting longer. Okay, so you can see that the velocity continues to get more and more downwards, if you like. And so if you know what the horizontal velocity is at each point, and you can say what the vertical velocity is at each point, then you can draw the vector sum of those and get the total velocity. And that tells you a couple things. It tells you something about the speed. So the length of the velocity tells you about the speed. Where is its speed the, the smallest? So at the top, because the length of this velocity vector is the smallest at the top. And then you, it also tells you about the direction. So up, over here, it's pointing up and to the right. And then it's a little more to the right, all the way to the right, and then down into the right, down into the right, down into the right. And if we just traced, followed that direction along, we trace out this parabola. Okay, and we'll see that mathematically today, but graphically, that's, uh, that's what's happening. There's a few other things that are kind of interesting to see here. Um, one is, if this is like a cannonball or a golf ball or something where we're interested in how far it goes, what that usually means is how far does it go in the air? And so if you, were to, if you were to try to measure that distance, we'll call that the range, R, then we know that it starts at a height of zero and it ends at a height of zero. And you could calculate how far it travels in the time it takes it to go up and back down. So that's what I said, time can link what's happening in two different directions. So in the vertical direction, this is a ball that goes up and then comes down. And the whole time, it's moving to the right. So if you could, for example, calculate how long it's in the air, you could then figure out how far it travels while it's in the air and figure out something like the range, which is a parameter you might be interested in. Other things that are interesting here, what do you notice about, say, the velocity at this point and the velocity at that point? or the velocity at this point versus the velocity at that point. Is there a relationship between them? Yeah, the vertical component is flipped. There's some sort of symmetry here. And that, that comes from the fact that physics obeys what we call time reversal symmetry. It means if you were to throw this ball and follow it on this trajectory, and you were to take a movie of that, and you were to play that movie backwards, you couldn't tell the backwards version from the forwards version. So a ball that starts over here, if you just do this whole thing in reverse, it goes this way, looks just as valid as a ball that starts over here and goes this way. 
And a consequence of that is that whatever the speed is right here has to be the same speed that you have right there. So the length of this velocity vector is the same here and here, only its direction has changed. Okay, so the horizontal component has stayed the same, and the vertical component has, has flipped. It was pointing up, and here it's pointing down, but with the same vertical speed. And we're going to be able to use that symmetry to simplify some problems. Okay, so let's do some problems. That's a little ugly. I'll fix that slide. Consider a ball dropped off a building of height h. When does it hit the ground? What is its velocity when it hits the ground? So when does it hit the ground? We're trying to find a time. And what we know is a height. So we're going to relate a displacement to a time. And this is what that equation looks like. Because we're dealing with things going vertically, I've, I've labeled this as y instead of x. But here's the equation for that. What is its velocity when it hits the ground? Well, if I want to relate, if I know from the first part how long it takes to hit the ground, I can use this expression that relates velocity to time. Or if I wanted to, I could just relate velocity to displacement directly. I have another equation that will do that. There's a couple different ways I could do it. And so let's, let's do this. When does it hit the ground? I'll use this first equation. I'll plug in the values that I know. Um, I'm trying to find when it hits the ground. So y of t is the height at the time when something happens. I'm interested in when it hits the ground, so I'm going to call this t the time when it hits the ground. y of t will be its height when it hits the ground. Let me call that 0. Okay, so maybe I should draw a diagram. I'll call this 0 at the bottom. y is positive when it's going up, and I start at a height y equals h. Okay, so my initial value for y is h. Uh, what is my initial velocity? Was I told that? Not directly, but it's there. What is... Zero, yeah, because it's dropped. So sometimes you have to interpret what the words mean. Dropped means it's not thrown. It's released from rest. Its initial velocity is zero. So this term is going to be zero. And again, I'm not told the acceleration, but I'm going to assume, and I should probably state this, assume it's on the Earth. That tells me what the acceleration would be. And now I have an expression where I was told h. OK, 
Okay, so even though I don't have a number for it, I'm considering that something that I know. Okay, g is a number that I know. Time is what I don't know, so I can solve for time. Okay, so I get a time that's the square root of 2h over g. Um, there's no point in plugging in 9.8 meters per second for g because I don't know what h is. I don't have a numerical value for h, so even if I plug in a number for g, it doesn't help me get a number. So it makes more sense to leave this symbolic like this. Okay, so I'm just going to call that my answer. That's how long it takes the ball to hit the ground. Now if I want to find its velocity, I can just plug that time in to this equation. Or I can use my equation that relates displacement to velocity. So this is what I'm trying to find, the velocity at time t when it hits the ground. Initial velocity was zero. And the time, I'm going to use the value that I found over here. So I get a value that's negative. It means it's going down, which is what I expect. And I can check the dimensions on this. Uh, g is measured in meters per second squared. Height will be measured in meters. So this is, looks like uh, meters per second squared times meters. When I take the square root of that, I'm going to get meters per second. So everything seems, seems consistent. I can just check if I want. Um, I could use the equation which relates um, change in velocity to height. Recall that looks like looks like this. Okay, so I'm trying to find v. I don't know that. I know that v naught is zero. The acceleration was negative, and the displacement, it went from a height of h to a height of zero. So its displacement is minus h. Its change in height was minus h. And I get a value that's consistent with what I got through the other method. Okay, so um, what I did here is I first 
related displacement to time in part A and found a time, and then I related that time to velocity. So I sort of went through this diagram like this for part two. And I could have gone more directly straight between them using this equation, which was the last step that I did. Okay, so there's often more than one way to do a problem. Okay, so this problem that we just did was a one-dimensional problem, right? We haven't done the two-dimensional part yet. Okay, so let me change the problem a little bit. We'll see what's different. Consider the same ball, but this time it's not dropped. It's thrown horizontally off the building from a height h. I'll ask the same questions. One more, where does it hit the ground? So let me draw my little drawing. Okay, so before I just had the ball falling straight down. Uh, this time, it's going to do something like that. I throw it horizontally, and as it starts to fall, it's, it's going to plummet and eventually hit the ground. I'm interested in finding this point where that point is, how long it takes to get there, and how fast it's moving at that point. Okay, so its initial velocity is horizontal. Um, I can write that like this. The x component of the initial velocity is v naught. I'm not told how fast it's thrown. Okay, so I'm going to call call that speed v naught. And v naught y, how fast it's moving vertically is zero. Okay, so it has the same initial downward speed as if I just dropped it, meaning it's not starting off going down or up. And as a result, when I say x of t is equal to x naught plus v naught uh, v naught t plus one half a t squared. This is a vector equation, and if I like, I can write that as two equations: one in the x direction. So notice. That this is not a vector equation. Right? This is not the vector x, it's the value along x. Right? This is not the initial velocity, it's the component of the initial velocity along x. That's what that, that x means there. And this acceleration is not the acceleration vector, it's how much of that points along x. Okay, so that equation represents two equations. Here they are. And I want to find out how long it takes to hit the ground. So what I know is it starts at a height h and it ends up at a height 0. I don't know where, where along x it ends up. So the equation in x isn't really very useful to me. But the equation in y is because I know it's starting height and I know it's ending height. 
And so I can use this equation to solve for the time. Okay, well, if I do that, its final height is 0, its initial height is h, its initial velocity is 0, and its acceleration I'm going to call minus g. And when I plug all those things in, I find that I've already done that problem. Right? When I said the ball was dropped off of the, the, the building, and I calculated how long it took to fall, I get the exact same value as if the ball is thrown off the building. Okay. One, one way you can understand that is Let's say the ball's thrown off the building, and you're watching it fall, but you're not standing here. Let's say you're in a truck, and you're driving along at the same speed the ball was thrown at. Right? Then as the ball's moving to the right, so are you. You don't see it moving to the right, you just see it following you. You just see it start at a certain height and drop. Right? And if a ball starts at a certain height and drops to the ground, we've already calculated how long that takes. Okay? So the length of time it takes to fall doesn't depend on whether you're driving along inside a truck or not. It should be the same. So the value that we calculated already should be how long it takes the ball to fall. And once we know that, We can then use this expression by plugging in t. We can find out where the ball is when it lands. So we use time to relate what's happening vertically and horizontally. In this case, we're interested in where the ball lands. And when we hear lands, what we should think is, OK, height equals 0. That let us use this expression here to find out the time. Then we use the time to link back to something else. We want to find out how far it goes. Well, how far is a position in x? And it, once we know the time, we can calculate that position. Okay, so let me make a little space and let's do that calculation. If I want to find out where this ball lands, I will plug in where it started. So let me call this point here x equals 0. So I'm going to measure how far from the base of the building it lands. Its initial speed, we said it was thrown horizontally. So its initial speed was entirely in the x direction. So I'm just going to call that v0. And the time it took to fall, I've calculated. That's what I'll plug in for the time. And I also know the acceleration in x. Right? If, if it's falling down due to gravity, there's no acceleration in x. So it lands this far from the base of the building. Yeah. 
In which way does gravity act? Down, right? So this is not the acceleration. It's the component of the acceleration that's acting horizontally. So gravity's pointing down. It doesn't have any component horizontal. Next, we want to figure out its velocity. So again, we have a time. We're going to use this equation over here to calculate its velocity. I'm going to erase the work I did before, but keep the result. When I do this in the x direction, sorry, in the y direction, I got square root of 2hg. That's how fast it's going to move, be moving vertically. It's the same thing as what I had before. The fact that it's moving horizontally doesn't affect how it's moving vertically. What about the horizontal direction? I can write this expression. I can write the x component of that expression. And I know the acceleration is 0 in the x direction. So however fast it's moving when it starts is how fast it's moving in the horizontal direction when it lands. Okay, So when it lands over here, it's still moving to the right with a speed of v naught, but now it's also moving down with the speed of square root of 2gh. And when we combine those together, we find that its velocity v has a magnitude that comes from the Pythagorean theorem. Right, if we have the components of the vector, that's like having the two legs of a, a, a right triangle. And I have to um, use the Pythagorean theorem to find the magnitude of the vector or the hypotenuse of that triangle. Okay, so if you like, I'm using this triangle. I know the two components. I can also find the angle. We call that alpha. And I can say the tangent of alpha is the opposite over the adjacent. Or alpha is the arctangent. Okay, so I've, I've answered those three questions that I was asked. So doing problems in two dimensions is not really different than doing them in one. We just have to look at the problem and interpret some of the words. So thrown horizontally means vertical component of velocity zero. We have to do a little bit of interpretation of what's meant by these things. And then we have to apply our equations in the x direction and the y direction separately, and we use the time at which things happen to link where things should be in the vertical direction and where they should be in the horizontal direction.
Yeah, time affects both x and y motions. All the other parameters will affect the different directions differently. Time is the one thing that connects them. Okay, these next couple slides have the solution worked out. I did that on the blackboard, so I'm going to skip the slides. Don't feel like you need to be copying this down. That's there, so if you print it out, you don't have to copy down what I did on the blackboard. Um, let's do a very useful question, uh, which is, if you have a cannon that can shoot with a certain speed, how far can it shoot? Right, And you'd expect that the faster it can launch its cannonball, the further it can shoot. So there should be some relationship there. And if there's a relationship, we should be able to solve for it. So this is a classic projectile motion problem. We're going to need a fair amount of space to do this because we have things going on in X and things going on in Y. And it will take a lot of blackboard. So first step, let's organize our thoughts. Let's draw a little picture. Here's the cannonball being shot. Uh, we expect it's going to do something like this. And we want to label everything we know on this diagram. Okay, so it's shot with a velocity of v naught. We'll call this the origin of our coordinate system right here. And what we're trying to find is the range, how far it goes while it's in the air. And while it's in the air means before its height returns to zero. So over here we know we're looking for x when y is equal to zero. Okay, That's going to depend on the angle we shoot it at. Right? If we shoot it straight up, it's not going to go very far. It'll be, it'll be in the air a long time, but it's not going to be moving very fast horizontally. So it'll go up and come back down. And if we shoot it really shallow, it's going to be going really fast horizontally, but it's not going to be in the air long enough to go very far. So somewhere in between, there's going to be an optimum. We're going to try to find that. We're going to find the angle that maximizes the distance, and we're going to call that distance the range. Okay, so I said we want to use time to relate what's happening vertically and what's happening horizontally. And what we know here is that it starts at a height zero and it ends at a height zero. So we know something about its height. Let's use that to find the time that it's in the air. If we know how long it's in the air, then we can figure out how far it went. And we did exactly this thing in the last problem. Just our diagram looked a little different. What's that? Well, however long it takes to get to the top is the same length of time it takes to get to the bottom. Okay. So we could find the time to get to the peak, or we can just find the time it takes until its height is equal to zero. 
So if we wanted to find the time it takes to get to the peak, at the peak, we know the vertical component of velocity is 0. So I could use that fact to find out how long it takes to get here, and then double that time to figure out when it lands. Or I can just use the fact that it starts and stops at a height of 0 and find the time that it takes. So let me do that. So I'm going to say in the y direction that I can relate the height to the time through this equation. So if, I pl- if I'm trying to find the time that it's in the air, then the height after that length of time is what? Yeah, it's zero. Uh, what about its initial height? That's zero too. Okay, so this is saying um, the height that it ends at, if there was no initial velocity and no acceleration, it would start at zero and end at zero. But of course, there is initially some component of its velocity going up, and that's going to cause it to go up. Eventually, gravity will pull it down, and it will return. So this is the going up part. This is the coming back down part. Okay, v not y. I don't know that yet. So let me try to express that in terms of the things that I do know. Okay, I'm told it has some initial velocity v not, And I'm going to assume it's at some angle. I wasn't told anything about the angle. But I'm, I want to find that. Right, so I'll just call it theta. And if I do that, then I can write the components as v naught x, which is v naught cos theta, and v naught y, then is v naught sine theta. And so that's what I'll plug in for v not y. Okay, time is what I'm going to try to find, so I don't know that yet. The acceleration is minus g, so I'm going to change that plus to a minus to account for the fact that it's accelerating down. Okay, so I can write this. A little more simply, if I factor out a t from both, both terms. So I've just factored out 1t. And the only way this term on the right can equal 0 is if t is equal to 0 or if this term here is equal to 0. So there's two possible times that this equation can be valid. Let me solve for the time when this expression equals 0.
What does it mean that I found two different times at which the height can be zero? Does that mean I did something wrong? Or go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so these are both have meaning. It was at a height of zero twice. It was at a height when I launched it, which happened to be t equals zero. And then it's at a height zero again at a later point in time, and that must be what this, that term represents. So this is, this is the solution that I care about. It's the meaningful one. It's how long it's in the air. And you can see that the greater sine theta, meaning the steeper I shoot it, the longer it will be in the air. Okay, so given that, let's figure out how far it goes. For this, we used how the height is changing in time. Now let's use how the horizontal position is changing in time. Okay, so I'm trying to find x of t. It started at a position I'll call 0. Say it starts at an x value of 0, and that way whatever I solve for, whatever I get for x of t is how far it went. So initial velocity in x, I worked out from this trigonometry over here. I worked out how that's related to the angle. t is the time that it's in flight. This is where I'm relating what I did in the horizontal direction, or the vertical direction to the horizontal direction. So I solve for that, and I'll plug that in. And there's no horizontal acceleration. Right? If it's just falling due to gravity, gravity points down. There's no component of the acceleration horizontally. So I get a value. that I can express as v naught squared over g times 2 sine theta cosine theta. And I write it like that because if you're very quick with your trig identities, you might recognize this as sine of 2 theta. Maybe not. In any event, I will use that relationship Okay, and I have a position that depends on how fast I shoot it. And sure enough, the faster I shoot it, the further it will go. So that's good. And it depends on the angle at which I shoot it. And this says, if I shoot it at an angle of zero, so if I shoot it horizontally, how far would you expect it to go? Not very, right? You shoot a cannon horizontally, it's just going to plow right into the ground, especially if it starts at ground level. So if I plug in zero, I get it goes a distance zero. If I plug in 90 degrees and I shoot it straight up, I get sine of 180, that's zero. It tells me... The distance it travels when I shoot it straight up is zero. It goes straight up and comes back down. Okay, so every case where we can understand what happens 
this expression is valid. So there's a good chance that's the right expression. But it doesn't answer the question, what angle should I shoot this at to make it go as far as possible? So this is a maximization problem. You may be familiar with this from calculus. We can take and solve for dx d theta, take the derivative, and say that that derivative has to equal 0 at a maximum, and find the angle at which that equals 0. If I could do that, or I can just look at this, I can say, okay, when is this function the largest? What's the largest value that sine can have? Sine goes between plus 1 and minus 1. So its biggest value is plus 1. And sine, sine of x equals 1 when x equals 90 degrees. And if that's the case, that means theta has to equal 45 degrees. Okay, that kind of makes sense. We said there's some optimum. If we shoot it too shallow, it won't go that far. If we shoot it too steep, it won't go that far. So it turns out 45 degrees is right in the middle. Okay, so the maximum range occurs when theta is 45 degrees. That gives me sine of 90 degrees. So this term is 1. And that distance I'll call the range. So that's x at theta is at 45 degrees. And that's v naught squared over g. It's the farthest you can possibly shoot that projectile. So this is all worked out in the notes. So you can see those online. Um, any questions? OK, then I want to uh, do a little example, a little demonstration. Uh, we're going to do this problem. This is a classic. Uh, Classic problem in introductory physics classes. The idea is that you are a zookeeper, or a, I don't know, a nature hunter, a, well, I'll call it a zookeeper, and your job is to shoot a tranquilizer dart at this monkey so that you can take him in for some, some tests. Now, the monkey's hanging from a tree, and he's spooked by the sound of the gun. So, as soon as you fire the gun, his instinct is going to be to let go of the tree and fall to try to avoid being shot by the dart. Okay, the question is, where should you aim to hit the monkey? So you might want to aim a little bit high, because you know the dart is going to be pulled down by gravity. You might want to aim a little bit low, because you know the monkey is going to be falling. So he's not going to be up here when the dart gets to him. So maybe you should aim lower. Or maybe you should aim right at the monkey, hoping those two effects cancel out. So think about that for 10 seconds.
Is Cindy here? How about Austin? Austin, what do you think? A little louder? Okay, the monkey's going to be falling, so you can kind of rule that out. As don't, no point in shooting where he's not. Okay, so it's going to. So maybe it depends on how far away you are when you start? Okay. Does anybody have a counter opinion to offer? What's your name? Hanaro? Okay. Let's be clear. When we say we're aiming it, what we mean is we're, we're what is this angle? Right? That's, that's how we aim. We're going to set the angle. And. How fast? How fast are we shooting? What's its initial speed, yes. V0? Okay, so there's two things we can do. There's two ways to find out what happens. Right? One is we can calculate this. The other is we can do it. And what's nice is I happen to have a monkey and a tree that he can drop from and a dart to shoot him with. Okay, so we will do it after we calculate it. So this is a projectile motion problem. And what's a little bit different about this one is that there's two projectiles, right? There's the monkey, he's falling, and there's the dart. And the dart is falling and flying through space. Okay, so let's, we've already got a drawing here. I'm not going to reproduce this on the board. But the first step would be to draw the problem. So that's done here. And we've labeled some of the different parameters. So the initial speed of the dart, and we argued maybe that makes some difference. Alpha is going to be determined by where we're aiming, right? The higher up you're aiming, the greater alpha is. Um, D is what we're going to call the distance from where we shoot to where the monkey is in the horizontal direction. And we're going to call the height of the monkey Well, for the moment, let's not call the height of the monkey anything. There's, a, there's something labeled here, but I, I don't want to jump to any assumptions. There's a reason that they, they chose that particular label. Let's just call the height of the monkey H. Um, okay, so we have a diagram. We need to think out um, what do we know, what can we calculate, how does that relate to the other things, and finally, what, what do we need to be able to compare to say, does the dart hit the monkey or not? Um, since sort of our three options are to shoot above the monkey, at the monkey, or below the monkey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to assume that I shoot at the monkey. Right? That's right in the middle of those options. I'm going to calculate what happens. And specifically, I'm going to calculate how long it takes the dart to travel this distance D. Okay, I can do that if I know the direction I shoot, its initial velocity, 
then I know the component of the velocity in x, and I can figure out how long it will take it to go this far. Once I've done that, I will calculate where the dart is. So I know it's going to be somewhere in this plane. It was going up, right? but it's curving down due to gravity. So it has some height after a time t, which I can calculate. And I will compare that to the height of the monkey. The monkey starts here at time 0, and after a time t, he will have fallen an amount that turns out to be 1 half gt squared. He will fall in a certain distance. And what I'll do is I'll compare the height of the monkey to the height of the dart. If the dart is below the monkey, I should have aimed higher. If the dart is above the monkey, I should have aimed lower. And if they're at the same position, what does that mean? I hit the monkey. Okay, so let's find out. Um, First of all, let me just say that we need to know the components of the velocity. And so we can, again, draw a triangle where the legs of the triangle are the x and y components. And I can use that geometry and that trigonometry to determine the initial velocity in x and y. Now, let me just sort of write out the steps. Um, I want to find t for the position of the dart equals d. That's step one. Step two will be to find the height of the dart at that time. And step three will be to find the height of the monkey. So I'm going to call that y sub m for monkey at the same time. And step four will be to compare them. If you understand those four steps, doing them is just a matter of applying the equations. Right, so relating a displacement to a time, we use um, this form, or this uh, equation of motion. So I'm going to call this x of dart. That should equal d. After all, I'm not trying to figure out how far it went. I'm trying to figure out how long it took. So I know how far it went. Say it started at 0. There's my origin. So it starts at 0. It has an initial x velocity of v naught cosine alpha. Time, I don't know. The acceleration is 0 in the x direction. So I can solve this by dividing both sides by v naught cosine alpha to get a value for t. I found a time. I can check that it makes sense. D would be measured in meters. 
V naught would be meters per second. So I have meters divided by meters per second. That gives me seconds. And cosine it would be unitless. Okay, so I at least have something that depends, that has units of time. The greater the distance, the longer it's going to take. The faster I shoot it, the less time it will take. So all the relationships seem to work out the way I would expect them to. Okay, so I'm confident in that. Now let's use that time to find out how high the dart is. Okay, so relating height to time, I can go back and look at my equations of motion and find the one that relates height and time. It looks like this. Y of t is what I'm calling the height of the dart. It started at a height of 0. It started with an initial velocity in the y direction of v naught sine alpha. I've solved for the time. I want to plug that value in. So I will try to indicate where that came from. And this one has acceleration, right? It's being pulled on by gravity, so it's going to accelerate downwards, negative, with a magnitude of g. I have to plug in this time again. And I can simplify this a little bit. Right, like this V naught cancels that V naught. Sine alpha over cosine alpha, I can write as tangent of alpha. On the second term, I'll expand the, the uh, square. And I get a height for the dart that looks a little complicated. I might begin to worry at this point, say, I don't know if that's right. I can try to rationalize if this makes sense. Um, this first term is how high the dart would be if there were no acceleration. So if there were no acceleration and I shoot the dart, it's just going to go in a straight line. And when it's traveled the distance d, its height would be given by d tangent alpha naught. Right, so this, alpha, this is alpha naught. The opposite side of this right triangle is equal to the hypotenuse times the tangent, the adjacent side times the tangent, d tangent alpha naught. And that's what this first term is. That represents how high it would be if without acceleration. And this term represents how far it's fallen during this time. The greater the distance, the longer it's in the air, and the further it will have fallen. Right? The faster it's going, the less time it's in the air, and it won't have fallen as far. So those have the right relationship. Okay, so as far as I can be, I'm confident in this. That's where the dart is. Let's find where the monkey is. The monkey's uh, a little bit easier.
All the monkey does is fall down. So again, we're going to relate a height to a time. The height, we're going to call the height of the monkey. What's different between the monkey and the dart is the monkey doesn't start at height zero. The monkey starts up here okay, at a height h. Or I can write that height as, if I'm aiming at the monkey, right, that height I just argued was d tangent alpha naught. I just made that argument, so I'm going to call that height d tangent alpha naught. The monkey drops, he releases from rest, he has no initial velocity. That's all ways of saying v not y is equal to zero. Okay, so the second term doesn't contribute. The third term is one half times the acceleration, which is minus g times t squared. I have t from way back here, d over v naught cosine alpha. Okay, so I'll expand that out. There's the height of the monkey. How does that compare to the height of the dart? That was the final, final step. Here's the height of the dart. Are they the same? So what does that mean? It means the dart hits the monkey, right? Notice a couple things. I didn't have a specific value for v naught or a specific value for the distance. Those are variables. I could plug in different numbers and get different geometries. But it says as long as I point at the monkey, I'll hit him. And it doesn't matter how far away I am, how fast I shoot, any of that. Okay, so can someone in the back on the side plug in my orange cable? That means we have to unplug the fan, which is why this isn't already plugged in. Thank you. So let me explain what I have here. Um, this is an electromagnet that connects to a switch right here. And when I cock the dart, or the gun, the switch is closed. And the electromagnet holds the monkey in place. When I release the dart, this switch will open up. It will turn off that magnet and drop the monkey. Okay, so it's just a simple little circuit that's going to let the monkey start falling the moment the dart gets shot. So, I will set up the monkey 
and I will set up the dart. So what I learned is I need to aim this right at the monkey. Let's see if I can do that. Hmm. Does anybody have any books they want to donate to the cause? Alternative is, let me just put it up here. Let me see how this works. This is designed so that they're about the same height if they both start on the ground. But I think that's kind of boring to start them both at the same height. I like to start one higher than the other because in the problem, that's, that's what's going on. Um, okay, so put that up a little higher. So I've got to aim this. It's a little high. That's a little low. I can do some fine adjustments here. Decent. Okay, so what I'd like is a volunteer from the audience. Okay, Daniel. Since I don't want anyone accusing me of cheating and aiming somewhere other than where I should aim. I will let you walk by before I cock the dart. So let's see. Come on over. I'm going to have you stand up on the table. And check as best you can the aim. This isn't a high precision gun, so maybe you can describe to people sort of what you're seeing. Basically aimed at the monkey. Basically aimed at the monkey. And when you pull this release, it'll shoot. So go ahead, we'll uh, wait in anticipation. Just pull it down? Just pull it. We have to watch kind of carefully because the whole thing's going to fall. And to see what happens. Okay. That's never worked before. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, big hand for Daniel. You shot the monkey. Very good. That You pass. Um, so, in summary, we have these three parameters of motion. Uh, displacement, velocity, and acceleration. We've done lots of work relating, relating them back and forth using time. Um, and now we're going to do that considering both horizontal and vertical directions. And we really need to be able to pick up on hints in the problem 
that tell us something about points where the velocity is zero, points where the height is zero. A lot of these things aren't explicitly given, but you have to be interpreted from the, the problem. Okay? So uh, we'll get practice on this and the next homework. Um, next time what we're going to do is circular motion. So um, those lecture notes are already up online if you wanted to print them out.